was a dark day in Dallas, November 63, a day that will live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a riding high, good day to be living and a good day to die. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Heavy Decibel Operations. I'm here with Jeff Klingman and Yona Korngold, and we're going to start off by talking about this excellent chestnut that uh, Bob Dylan decided to, to drop in the middle of the corona pandemic, uh, Murder Most Foul, <laughs> a 17-minute dirge about <laughs> JFK murder, just knowing, be, always being on top of the zeitgeist, knowing exactly what everyone's talking about. I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, I mean, the first one, I guess, is, I mean, it, it's been made clear that if this was recorded some time ago, obviously, I, I don't think we can uh, assume that this was an allegory for <laughs> our modern situation exactly. So, I mean, I was trying to think when the last time I actually sat down and like listened to a new, like new Dylan album, and it's got to be the one that was really pushed on us in our teens, the uh, time out of mind, right? Like in 97. Right. And I looked it up and he was, uh, if my math is correct, he was 55 then. And I like perceived him as unfathomably old when that came out in my mind as like a 17 year old listening because Rolling Stone or whatever said it was a good one. I was just like, oh yeah, this is like, you know, a dying man's last testament but like he was you know just fine <laughs> like <laughs> fine health i i definitely have not been seeking out new dylan content in, in terms of records in a while so be before you get into that i uh i can give you some i can give you some rockers that are currently 55 so you can compare <laughs> Uh -huh. So, Eddie Vedder, sure. lead singer of Pearl Jam, Courtney Love, lead singer of Hole, uh, Maynard James Keenan, lead singer of Tool, Tracy Chapman, Fast Car, uh, Hathaway, What is Love? And <laughs> I, I agree with you that at the time, he seemed quite on, I mean, he seemed unsteady, he seemed... Like he was being propped out there. And of course, that feeling was only increased when the uh, youthful soy bomb uh, came up oh, next man. to him and started dancing. That's my my last lasting memory of, of Bob Dylan. And um, Do you think soy bomb has like proper hand washing technique? <laughs> yeah. like, what are the odds? Um, <laughs> so if any of those rock stars that you just mentioned like came out with an album about like boy it's almost the end of me like maybe with the exception of court and love i'd be like get the hell out of here you know <laughs> uh like so i mean so all that is a wind-up to say like i mean he's 78 now and seems ancient um so i it's this, this has been in his drafts folder for a while, right? I mean, like, like I guess he's just like the rest of us. Like, this is a great time for, like, content. 
Like on the people was was he going through his his uh, Dell computer and just stumbled upon this, or you know, is he was he predicting that there would be a widespread lockdown and people would be starved for new content? And Jeff, are you trying to say that uh, whole verses dedicated to Wolfman Jack don't really uh, <laughs> well, are really relevant to the youth of today? Uh, well, no. Although I mean, it's a topic for discussion though is that like, have you guys read the the Pitchfork Best New Track review for this? No. Just dropped half hour ago. Um, it's, it's kind of a treat in terms of like reaching for any kind of relevance to attach to this thing. Uh, I mean, listen, God bless Dylan. <laughs> Nobody, like, nothing against Bob Dylan. Not claiming he's overrated in any way. Like, I'm not, no hot takes on Dylan, but, like, a song that he clearly, like, a, a good topic for quotation is whether this is a true freestyle or whether he's, like, he wrote down. That's, I could go either way on that. But the Pitchfork review is like, and in this, like, elegy for troubled times, like, the Lincoln Continental is a time machine taking him back through, and it's just like, this is not a very good song. And, like, you know, we're not exactly talking, like, Ballad of a Thin Man in terms of, like, allegorical poetry here. It's like, like, I played Wooly Bully for a schoolyard bully like is pretty much the lever the level of lyricism we're dealing with here so it's right. like i mean i think what we were talking about last episode about uh everybody cooped in in a really weird moment like everybody is going to be really really eager to say wow this piece of art right here like this captures the time like this is the song this is the thing for the moment this is the film for the moment but like really no one has had time to process anything right now. And if we're eager to give it to like, like a 17 minute, like phonetic rhyme remembrance that lived on Bob Dylan's computer. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is the song we deserve. I don't know. I guess, Yona, did you, what, what was your reaction to, if I remember correctly, you're a big sort of Dylanologist, yeah? I have a feeling maybe he's just, uh, this is the first of an album all on presidential assassinations, <laughs> where he'll go 20 minutes into James Garfield assassination oh, well. <laughs> and his thoughts on that. Well, I mean, that's why it's so long. you got to fill out the A side, right? Right. right. What? <laughs> but, like, um, I don't know. I mean... I, I, it's actually like because thinking about like the last Dylan stuff that I had really like related to. I mean, he's he hasn't been far away from the from people's minds from the conversation, but it's all been really like shrewd, um, kind of like presentation of his own kind of like archival material, you know. Like people, like he keeps putting out these bootleg series albums that are really um, steady clip. He's really like um, the the Netflix documentary is really sort of interesting and actually like a little bit subversive in terms of like you know making up stuff and like putting in fake information in the con like in the context of you know the story he's telling about that tour. Like he's actually like 
the, what you think about are the strengths of like old Bob Dylan artistry of being sort of like subversive and uh, a canny like self like mythologizer, like all that stuff has been really apparent in the way that he has become his own archivist, I would say. But none of that is like him writing a lyric exactly. And like if this is like what he's been rolling around with at the moment, like, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, he, I, I, <laughs> I don't expect him to have the fastball, I guess. Right. Yona, I, <laughs> we'll have to apologize because you're the closest thing we have to a Dylanologist in this call. <laughs> Very but <far>. like, <laughs> it seems like he's resisted looking deeper into his songs and kind of says, you know, they are what they are. Uh, yeah. So Dylan, Dylan, you could say has classically just resisted everything. So like this song would be is a resistance to what you would think Bob Dylan would release during these times um, in some ways. And in other ways, like I'm just fascinated by it because there's yeah, it starts out um, describing the scene of a Kennedy's assassination the day in Dallas. Then there's a point of view shift where he is Kennedy and there's a lyric about where he's Kennedy. Then there's a point of view shift where he's Oswald, like kind of a quantum leap style. <laughs> and then the end of the song, the last like 10 minutes is his uh, best, like Bob Dylan's list of things that we should be listening to, <laughs> where he goes through his, his entire record collection of, of, it's of like, suggesting music. It's like losing, losing my edge, 1965. Well, but <laughs> right. I mean, in that way, isn't it, it is appropriate for our time of quarantine, right? It's like, it's like the 1960s songs you should check out if you're stuck under quarantine. Right. Maybe, maybe he read a bunch of listicles and was like, you know what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got just the thing. So as a um he does he not have uh as many weirdo people do have his own um uh XM series XM radio station? Yes. I don't know if he's doing new shows, but that I mean that show was also brilliant in this matter of where it was just complete randomness of thoughts whatever things that came to his head but like really amazingly produced like line by line just like so as an old like vaudeville show where starring bob dylan doing all the parts it was it was very strangely and also very entertaining right just because this is a show that uh we all agree that politics run through everything the thing that i've always struggled with is his he seemingly outside of whatever he may sing and you infer politics from it it seems he never like he doesn't talk about politics he never gets involved in anything other than what he might put into a song correct right he would never sit and say oh yeah well, i wonder what his last politician that he endorsed or if there ever was um, I mean, it, it's kind of like, it struck me weirdly as like, I mean, I, I feel fully ridiculous with what I'm about to say, but like, this is not unlike a Lana Del Rey song in terms of like, 
like this long ambling like overly super referential to like old timey rock and roll kind of elegy <laughs> and if she put out like a 17 minute song about the death of the American dream as like uh, filtered through the JFK assassination everybody would be just like oh vintage Lana like <laughs> classic Lana Dara. and so like it's funny to me um, that that is what I thought of when I was listening to it just because like I guess that just speaks to how uh, successfully she has has taken over that like uh, faded American dream corner of of uh, of, of popular music. Uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything, frankly, but right. <laughs> do you think Dylan's ever listened to Lana Del Rey? What are the chances? What do we, what do we put the probability? It all depends if he has so. someone yeah. who feeds him shit and demands that he listens to it. Right. It's entirely possible. Um, do you, I think it's more likely that he's listened to that than it is that he's listened to like the second Wallflowers album. <laughs> yeah, like there was in one of the last like uh, previous releases, there's a song like Thunder on the Mountain where Dylan all of a sudden there's a verse about I was thinking about Alicia Keys when he gave her crying. So <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past him just to reference someone. It, it uh, reminds me of, uh, if I remember this correctly, Bernie Sanders kind of declined to endorse his son. I feel like Dylan. I feel like Dylan throughout his life, Jacob Dylan has like said, "Oh, can you introduce me to?" Or, "Oh, could you lend me your, you know, your guitar?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, no, I'm, well, I'm going <laughs> to stop you from living your life, but I'm not going to help you propagate this idea of." Uh, of um you know being a true musician well it's uh it, it speaks to the madness of the cabin fever that we've quickly veered into uh father son uh fan fiction in terms of, like, <laughs> but i mean i don't know man the i think maybe a broader point is that like the hunger for something that is meaningful right now doesn't really I think it's a pretty low bar at this point, right? Like, I, like it's basically like Tiger documentaries, Bob Dylan, like literally anything you got right now, like we're ready to attach full meaning to it. And with like, no questions asked, really. I mean, some yeah. questions asked, like why a 17 minute song about the JFK assassination during the coronavirus is one question asked. But but that's not necessarily a uh, like it's it's the 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 void of anything that isn't uh, just the the dire news at the moment is we're ready. Yeah, um, the reason why I sort of asked about politics is I've just been something that's been in the back of my brain for a long time and uh, their their much hyped return is obviously being postponed by uh, coronavirus like everything else uh, is I just I really want to know where Zach de la Rocha went all these years it's something that has been burrowed in the back of my brain that outside of 
somehow Killer Mike and LP getting him to appear on a Run the Jewels track just sort of disappeared. Um, this seems like it would be a perfect moment for him, and maybe that's why they came back. But I don't know. I've just been, you know, and, and Jeff, you and Randall and I talked about this last week, the absolute disappointment of any sort of artistic response to Trump seems like, you know, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, Dylan, the fastball's gone. Maybe, you know, maybe he didn't really have politics. He was just sort of the bellwether for a moment in time. But, um, you know, what, let me, if you have any thoughts about Zach De La Rocha, uh, or if not, like, What's the next thing we're waiting for to just appear out of nowhere to entertain us for 24 hours on, uh, <laughs> in our quarantine? Uh, well, in terms of rage, I mean, they their absence, I would have to look up, and this is great radio, but I'd have to look up when that last album actually came out. I don't remember if they were active and vocal during the Iraq war buildup. Like I kind of, I have a vague, it could be like the Mandela effect, but that like, I, I don't remember if, if him being on the front lines of that stuff, um, because that would have been kind of the last flare up. It's not like you, you've seen him out there in terms of like Ferguson or like, any other like Wall Street bailout stuff like that um, that you would expect Rage to be you know speaking to so um, the last thing I remember is the they and and I am generally a supporter of this um, they sort of protested at the 2000 Democratic uh, Convention and so you know, I am always uh, a strong believer that, you know, criticism from the left should be towards the left as well, because, you know, we can't expect much of people on the right if we're not, if our house is in, in order. But that was kind of the last thing that they did of major prominence. They might have had an album after that, but, you know, I, I think it failed to make a, a dent. Right. So it's been a long time. Yeah, and I think that was their last, might have been their last album, almost like, yeah, 2000. So they, they haven't post 9-11 been, had anything to say, really. Uh, nothing much happened. You know? <laughs> right, in the 2000s. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, maybe, and I think it would be maybe a, a wrong approach to assume that they still have their fastball or he still has his fastball. So no, no, uh, no artist is going to come and, and throw the ether down. That's going to make any changes. So what, from an entertainment perspective, can you, can you hope for a virtual pavement show? I mean, I, I guess that's a, I have not been so, keen to watch even artists who I have utmost respect for play like a uh, you know like a laptop acoustic set like I think that that's more a gesture of hey like 
I think it's an empathetic gesture rather than a gesture we should be judging artistically. Right. Or even one that we should be, um, you know, I mean, I think it would be beyond pointless to, like, give a decimal point score to, like, Waxahachie's Instagram live show. Right. Like, I think that that is purely, like, hey, this moment of connection like, I know you're stuck here, we're stuck here, like, we'll see each other one day. So, it's like, to me, the art of that is the gesture. It's not the thing itself. But, I mean, which is not to say that you couldn't, like, have a good time watching Ben Gibbard play Death Cab covers, or, you know. 88 like, days in a row. It. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I think you know, I think that that's really lovely in a way, but I don't think that it's, it's, it doesn't give me the charge that I get out of something that's a little bit more intentional. So it's not something that I'm seeking out, but I think if we've learned anything from any of this, like, I think that people are ready to latch on to, to really anything. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, whether that's like something old and meaningful or whether that's something purely, I mean, from this Tiger King thing that I mentioned before, which it seems like everybody's watching, just like pure escapist trash is a solid bet for right. what's going to capture our attention in 10 minutes. Yeah, and I, I think there was a, an interesting article on uh, Medium by Eve Pizer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but essentially, you know, celebrities are just like you, they're bored in their houses, you know, admittedly they're much uh, better furnished and, and uh, higher uh, value houses escaping boredom by throwing shit up and seeing if it's interesting and more often than not, it is not interesting. And, you know, the in the midst of all these streams, you still have the entire history of the world's entertainment at your fingertips. And even right. though there's nothing to do, there is still 24 hours in the day. So are you going to revisit a, you know, a Criterion Collection movie or are you going to watch Ben Gibbard play Death Cat from 1994? I mean, I suspect it won't be very long before we get a good old-fashioned, like, surprise album drop that somebody's already obviously made and has been sitting on. But it's like a finished piece of work that maybe we don't know is coming, but already exists. You know what I mean? Like, it, if a Beyonce record came out in two weeks, it would not be recorded in two weeks. It would have, they just would have been altering their release schedule, you know? Right. So, I think, though, I, you know, I bet there's a way to do like it's a little cynical maybe or it's a little uh you know opportunist but i bet the first person who figures out a way to get their grand statement album that they already had in a certain release window out and into the public w that will be received with this level of importance that it may not, like, it actually could be a golden opportunity for somebody to really own, I mean, it seems silly to say something like, oh, this, like, own the moment. It's just like, the moment is owned by overcrowded hospitals and, like, pure terror. But, uh, I think 
when we look back, I would be shocked if something doesn't come out in the next couple weeks that um, will retroactively be assigned this level of importance because it existed in this moment. Right. Yona, anything to add? Yeah, I, I I feel the same. Like my, though I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. So and so released something from their living room, but haven't felt the need to click and look. Um, more, I'm going back to things that people who are putting shows up from like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, and more of that nostalgia than actually trying to live in the moment. Um, and I feel like most people's responses to the the solo artist who's in the living room recording a song is saying, "Oh, that's 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 cool. That's what uh, Trey Anastasio's living room looks like." Or, <laughs> instead of looking at the music as a piece of art, as, as Jeff was saying. Right. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels very disposable versus something that you know, people. If anyone's going to watch it years from now, it'll only be to try and recapture what you were personally feeling at that time. Which, I mean, <laughs> quarantine nostalgia in 10 years is going to be a trip, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like the retro aesthetic of people, like, <laughs> stuck in their houses. Uh, I, I'm sure we'll find a way to be nostalgic about it, but at the moment, that seems insane. Yeah. Right. Quarantine sort of art is kind of like the new, uh, like, breakup poetry or... <laughs> that kind of a uh... neo quarantine it has a real neo quarantine <laughs> yeah, exactly 2027 album yeah there, i feel like there's going to be a lot of people that are trying to make their mark on the world by creating a whole new genre of music that will be you know quarantine core just like mixing in various background noises of, of children and and people <laughs> arguing well, Which is what I've been actually been waiting for. Like, where's that release of someone deep in a dark basement, three o'clock in the morning, making crazy sounds, yeah. inventing new sounds? Like, where's that? I mean, I guess we'll let's give it a couple weeks. Yeah. And check right. back. <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll we'll wrap up in a few minutes, and we'll just talk about. I feel like this is part podcast, part therapy session for, for everyone. What is everyone's current mental uh, state, uh, coping mechanisms? I, I've been asked by uh, my wife and my father separately if I, you know, if we can do something in a month from now. And my stock answer is always, I'm just thinking about today and tomorrow. And I don't really have the bandwidth to think about, not the bandwidth, that's the wrong way to think about it. I, like, I think it's kind of pointless to think about something that may or may not happen next week. Yeah, I mean, the tricky part is, as somebody who works in events, is that on some level, it's like, it's, it's, we keep falling back to, the next trench, you know, like it's in the early stages of this, it was like, okay, so this is going to be like a couple months, like April 1st, like, okay, this is going to be X. This is going to be this. 
And now, I mean, I don't know, we're seeing stuff starting to get canceled in June and the Olympics are canceled for July. I like the thing that's despairing is the is the absolute lack of certainty about an endpoint, right? So living in the moment is okay. <laughs> but I haven't exactly been able to get off of the idea of trying to calculate on some level what a likely end game for this is. And I don't know if that's a place that you guys find yourself often, but I mean, you know, reading novels <laughs> stops that briefly or planning trees like I was doing earlier. I wasn't really thinking about my Twitter feed at that moment. So right. perhaps that'll be a guidepost going forward. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. I think we keep sort of floating around the idea that like, we'll know more in a couple weeks, but what we know so far hasn't been particularly encouraging. No, and, and right. the fact that there's absolutely no consensus, even if you wanted to sort of zero in on on reputable sources or people that you know you feel are actually giving you the truth versus putting it through some um, partisan slant like there's no consensus there so you can you know there are moments where i glom on to the extremely or i would say from the scientific community there's nothing that could be categorized as extremely um positive let's let's say not so dire um and i just i i read too much of the this is going to last much longer than than you think it is. Like I sort of, and this is a bad way of thinking, but I live and die by pronouncements from sports leagues, and like they don't know anything any better than anyone else. And just because they're targeting, you know, September as when they're going to hold their their rescheduled event, doesn't mean that anything's going to be remotely normal there. So I just like, I think you have the right idea that we can't all plant trees, but we should find our metaphorical <laughs> trees to plant to get away from it all. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's sort of the realization I came into this week that, yeah, this isn't not only a pandemic, but this is an error. Like this will be an error of COVID-19. Like this will be here for a while and we're going to all, live with it and find a way to move on and how, how best to um, isolate it, but it will be, it will be a long process. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we'll end these on a higher note, but it won't be this week. Uh, but yeah, wow. I mean, I think once the, yeah, my, my thinking is, yeah, once the antibody test is available and we all say, oh, like, yeah, that cold I had four months ago, oh, that was, that was COVID-19. Yeah. And then how sort of, you'll have probably a week or two of feeling invincible before you start feeling dread again. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's my expectation that at some point in time, I mean, and that's kind of. I mean, the most realistic, optimistic proposition is to find out way after the fact that at one point in time where you felt 
little unwell that you had it like that and but you know you gotta you gotta just assume i've just been assuming that i have had it or have it and and treat every interaction thusly it's a way to live life it's not a way that we really anticipated thinking yeah, well, uh, Wolfman a Wolfman, Wolfman Howl, right. Rub a Dub Dub, <laughs> yes, a virus most foul. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll talk to you soon. Later, later, Keith. Later, Jeff. Bye.